Welcome back, and good morning. Good morning. Lesson three, Sure Word Bible Studies. What God is really like? Big question. What do you think of the title of that chapter, What God is Really Like? It's not, it's not really put as a question, is it? It's made as a statement. Here's what God is like. What do you think about that? I think that's a good thing to figure out. <clears throat> yeah? Well, make the difference what, and, and what type of God you're serving. Mm -hmm. Is it a God of, of an angry God, or is it, you know, someone mm -hmm. who's more loving than we give him credit for, or makes a difference in, in how we relate? Very much so, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the law of worship, Second Corinthians three eighteen. By beholding, we become what we admire, what we look after, what we aspire to be. What we spend our time focusing on, we're physically and neurologically and character neurologically changed. That's pretty wild. Yeah, good point, Lola. So first paragraph, I'm just going to read it and uh, we'll jump into it. In our first lesson, we read that Jesus said that God's word is truth that we can depend upon. But in the second lesson, we learned that Satan has accused God before the universe of being arbitrary and untrustworthy. We saw that many women in the world are caught up in this conflict and have to decide who is really being honest with us. The good news is that God has answered the accusations of Satan by sending his son to reveal his true character and to show us what he is really like. In the next two lessons, we will look to the Bible to get a better understanding of God and what he wants from us. Question. What does God want from you? Relationship. Relationship? What else you got there? What does God want from you? Have you ever been in relationship with a person and you say, what do you want from me? I've said that to some people already. What do you want from me? I feel like nothing I do is good enough. What does God want from you? What kind of relationship? Open, honest, real. But he wants to be acknowledged for who he is too and wants mm -hmm. to make sure that you understand who he is. He thinks we definitely want something deep, not surface level. Mm -hmm. I heard this quote, I'm going to botch it up, but it was something like, to the depth that we're able to get in terms of like openness with each other is the same that we're able to get with God. And I think Jesus actually addresses that, right? If you can't, what am I thinking? If you can't love your brother who you can see, how can you love God who you can't see? Right? So I think that that's actually a biblical concept, that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So on that first page there, any thoughts come to mind? Um, Genesis 126, they reference, uh, Mom, you want to read that? Genesis 126? Then God, the Hebrew is Elohim, or God's plural, said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. It's all plural. All plural. So he's kind of getting that to the emphasis on, you know, we can just jump ahead and say we're talking about the Trinity in this lesson. It's what he's kind of starting to address. Uh, there's another verse, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold, my servant... And the lesson says Christ, whom the Father, 
right? So behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So yeah, in Isaiah 42, 6, the lesson points out that there's three there. The servant is Jesus, whom I, referring to the Father, and the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit. So he's really drawing on that aspect of, you know, this biblical aspect of the Trinity. Um, the next page, John 14, 26. Lola, you want to read that for us? Sure. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So there you go. Another one, Jesus' own words, right? Kind of addressing three different things in that passage. Yes. Yeah. I like the third paragraph on that page. I highlighted there's a sentence here. The author points out. Also note that he refers to the Holy Spirit as he and not an it, mm -hmm. making it clear that the Spirit is not some impersonal force but a real person. I have found in my own journey that I don't pray to the Holy Spirit. Dear Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you please? I always dear God, dear Father, right? Dear Jesus. Because like that, that idea of the Holy Spirit being like Jesus, being an actual, you know. Being. Exactly. It's interesting. I, 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 I always held this idea as just like, well, it's just this thing. So that was kind of, that was kind of neat be able to draw out of that somehow I, from in my brain it's hard to grasp the the entity that is god mm. there is so much to that it is vast it is um i just think that you know our our minds can grasp only a portion of what is god that God is infinite. We are not. His infinite. His vastness. The entities are different parts of him. Yeah. We just barely scratched the surface, I think, of God. Check this out. Um, right there in the middle of the page, middle paragraph. Just like you said, Mom, you summarized that paragraph really nice. But... So, in order to help us grasp the infinite greatness of God, each of the three persons of the Trinity have voluntarily taken specific and somewhat limited roles that we, unable to see God ourselves, can better understand and relate to Him and His activities. Now, there's a question that popped into my mind. What do you think about a God who limits Himself? Just like you, you described, Mom, an infinite, this, you know all-powerful creator omniscient you know what I'm saying like cho chooses to limit himself and the follow-up question to that is and does he limit you or me mm -hmm. think about that what does that say about God? Well, with how I'm understanding it is he's restraining himself for our benefit, for our the way that we can understand him the best. So he's still focused on us. Mm -hmm. You know, so even though he's doing it, it's it's for our understanding, our benefit in the end of it. 
rather than, you know, I'm doing this because I'm, it's what I do, it's what I'm going to do, but it, it, it's for others' benefit. Mm -hmm. Last two weeks, we went through the origin of evil. We talked a lot about, like, where did sin start? How did evil begin? All that kind of stuff. So the same the same applies. You know, you have a God who limited himself, but put no limits on Lucifer. Did he limit himself in a way of, I, I appreciate and grieve what you said. But he limited himself when he, he came down in the burning bush. He limited himself when he passed by... Elijah Elisha, who was in the cave. Yeah, Elijah, yeah. He, he limits his glory. He limits it because we're just little, you know, finite beings here. He has to limit himself to communicate, to walk with us, to be with us. Otherwise, his glory, like we read, it would consume us. You know, because that veil that we were created with is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And I and part of me thinks too that we're our brains are compartmentalized. So in our brain compartments, we've got Jesus, who was the Son who came to die. We've got the Father. We have His Spirit who guides and directs us, even though they actually are just one being. They're all just one. The Father came down and died for us. Jesus and the Father are one. Um, but somehow, in our minds, everybody has to have a job. How do or, we... Or a part. I don't know. So, I don't know. I don't know maybe Mark, you have an idea, or even Angel, or Sarah. Like, how do we... I'm going to pose a question. I just want to try to hear it from everybody on this. So, how do we take, again... So a part of our mission here at Collective Journey is grow loving people by being loving people. And so to do that, we're trying to accurately, accurately reveal God's character through us to our environment. So a person who comes to you and asks the question about like the Trinity, how do you understand that? It's just, how would you describe that to an unbeliever or someone who's struggling with a belief about God in a way that makes sense? How is this idea of like three people who are equal, but they're different, but they're the same? How would you, how would you describe that? Like, what what's a metaphor you could use, or or right? You understand my question? I understand your question, but I don't know how I would describe it any differently than how it is described. Like, you know, it, I think people have a hard time wrapping their head around Jesus, who is the creator of the earth, who was also one of the folks who sent fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, but also... Well, uh, the, the point being, wasn't not, not so much what did they do, but like how could they be three that take different roles, but yet be the same? In other words, they're interchangeable. Because I don't know why has a comment about that. If the Father himself came, then what happened with Jesus would be identical. It wouldn't matter. You could interchange Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. wouldn't have matter. It would happen exactly the same. So it's like, how do you, how do you explain that to somebody? I see it as like a teaching concept. Hmm. So like when I teach a bigger idea to somebody, like you have to break it down into smaller pieces, right? So they can better like grasp it in that moment. And then you teach the next piece, right? And then you teach the piece and then it all comes together like, Oh, yeah, like, I understand, like, how it all works together then. But, like, you can't just, like, oh, okay, well, here's how you ask your, you know, horse to 
kind of forehand or whatever it is, right? Like a bigger concept, you have to break it down into those individual pieces. And I think that's what I'm seeing here is that the decision was made to break something that's all-knowing, all-powerful, being everywhere all at once, down into specific, um, more digestible pieces so that we could actually understand it. And then hopefully then put it all together to see the bigger picture. Awesome. I look at it like this. I'm, this is a I'm rough drafting a metaphor. Picture three. Okay, Mark, I'm gonna I'm gonna use your your field of expertise. Three orthopedic doctors. Mm-hmm. All went all that same degree from the same university. They are peers straight across the board. They're orthopedic doctors right across the board, and the three of these guys are hanging out. And and they have found a person who is severely injured and needs care. One says, I'll do this. The second one says, I'll do this. The third one says, I'll do this. And there are three different tasks, three different roles for the benefit of the patient who is severely injured. But they're all equal. The one can do the surgery, the one can be the tech, and the one can monitor the the life system. That idea. So I look at it, I look at it kind of like that. You've got three. So, so you could say the doctors are one because they're unified in purpose and motive to heal the patient. They're one. They're also there to help each other. What can I do to help? What can I do? Because it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about what's best for the injured person. Right? So that's how I personally view the Trinity. We, humanity, is the, is the injured person. The great controversy in heaven is the injured. The lies about God. So these three who are equal and unified in purpose, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, we're gonna to work together, I'm gonna to try to save the patient. I see where you're going with that, but knowing what I know about the doctors, the, the three, even though they went to the same school, same <laughs> attending, same everything, they're not the same. One's mechanical, the other one isn't, and the other one is an idiot. And so you yeah. don't, you know, so to, to comprehend a Godhead that they're fully capable, right? Is not a human. Very difficult. Very difficult. Because you know, unfortunately, I mean, what do you call the last guy that graduates medical school? You call him doctor, right? The very last guy. You know, and nowhere near as competent as the one that graduated in the top five percent of the class. And so it's it's that kind of thing where it's still a good metaphor. It's it, it's probably <laughs> the, the highest human metaphor you could probably come to. Yeah, but falls far short. Oh, sorry, right. we were I rough drafted it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the lesson here at the bottom, he starts kind of getting into some scriptural evidence for the Trinity. The Father is the first person. He has the role of the Almighty God, pictured as seated on the heavenly throne, ruling over and directing the affairs of the entire universe. He's the surgeon, doing natural work. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, a couple verses there. Um, Mom, Lola, Sarah, do you want to just go down and read 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Revelation? All right. Mm-hmm. Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Thank you. Lola? One God, and one, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. Mm. 
To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Mm -hmm. And the lesson points out the son is the second person. His role is seen as the embodiment and exact image of the father God with whom he has God himself shares the throne. Angel, you want to read Hebrews, that passage there? Uh, which one? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. 1 through 3 or 1 through 5? My book is 1, 1 through 3. 1 through 3. Is it the same on the digital version? No, it's 1 through 5. Interesting. Uh, Go ahead and read it, that's fine. Uh, God, who are at various times and in various ways, spoke in time, passed to the Father by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels that he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? There's a lot in that passage, in there? A lot. I like how... I, I underline it, Angel, as you're reading. Just, just how Jesus is described as the express image of his person. I, I just love that whole idea of being the express image of his person you know it's jesus man jesus is good um does the father have a face does the father have a face yes space jesus Ooh, good point i think I, here's my take on on the trinity nobody can directly look at the father you know what happened to moses up in the uh, wilderness okay so um Jesus is God became flesh so he so people can actually look at God in the face he had to become Jesus he had to become human uh, after Jesus left and he resurrected then the Holy Spirit pretty much is targeting your conscience or your your thinking you know what I'm saying so so this that's this is the Holy Spirit's task is to target your conscience and guide you through your your thinking. You know that little voice in your head, and oh, I shouldn't do this. That can hurt me, you know. That's probably the Holy Spirit talking to you. So hmm. lesson here, the Holy Spirit is a third person. His role is to reach the hearts of men with the truth. Like you're saying, Angel. The Bible teaches that God is also ever present everywhere at the same time. King David wrote in Psalms Psalms 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall uphold me. David's super awesome, yeah? The way he just kind of connects with some of those amazing ideas. That next paragraph, there's some really interesting things that the author brings out. 
Did y'all, did y'all un- underline anything in there? Or anything jump out to you in that? In that one, in the paragraph, I guess they kind of help compartmentalize things that the father stays on the throne of the universe, like just watching, overseeing everything. And this is like Jesus is ministering on our behalf and that the spirit, like Angel said, he's the one that's working on our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it's, uh, you know, I... It's just so huge to me. How can we possibly understand? You know, he says, let us make man in our image. So does that mean that they are physical beings like us, yet with powers to just be everywhere? Mm. Do they have a face? Do they have a form? Are, Are they just spirits or are they forms that can be spirit you know what i mean there's just it's it just always amazes me like what is god crazy crazy big question see i was raised with this mentality of the godhead and how they are equal so it's not a new concept to me sure Absolutely. So I'm trying to like dig back to how I would think if it was a new concept with me, and then mm-hmm. I had nothing. It's hard to get there, yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. The concept always has always been skewed. Yeah, I remember. I'm gonna, um, of course, Sarah's teaching horseback riding lessons and all that kind of stuff, and we had a really fun conversation a long time ago when she started teaching lessons. Um. A horse has four different gates, walk, trot, canter, gallop. Now she's going to get all technical and say, what's well, actually seven because there's a rack and then there's a... <laughs> Depending on the horse. <laughs> See? Funny. No. Someone said, can you teach me how to canter? Okay, that's the one like, you see the cowboy like going across the prairie? That's cantering. Sarah goes, I don't, I know how to canter, but I don't actually know if I know how to teach you how to canter. Right? Remember that conversation we had? Like, because, like, I've, I've, I don't remember learning how to canter. I was so young or whatever. I just know how to do it. But, like, how do I teach someone how to do that? So that's what I hear you saying. Like, I've always known this idea. So how do I, man, how do I teach that idea in a way that someone can actually comprehend and grasp who doesn't know anything? And it doesn't come across sounding like some crazy, because, dude. Some of our ideas about God or Christianity or, or phrases that religion has taught us. Yeah, I'm saved by the blood. What the heck does that mean? And how do you describe that? Okay, to some, well, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Wait, what? What do you mean? Yeah. And so trying to like really dig back and say, like, how does that make sense? Or, or describe that in a way to someone who didn't grow up. Man, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist nine months before I was born, right? So it's... <laughs> To your points, you know? That's just why I love wrestling with some of these ideas. Um, Yeah, I do. We'll wrestle later. Uh, Down, what, bottom of page 32, John 14, 15 through 16. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. 
The Greek word for another is alos, which means another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am exactly like the Father, and the Spirit is exactly like me. We are all the same. And, and he summarized it really well. The plan of salvation. Salvation literally means to save from death, to heal. It comes from the Greek word sozo. This is the Father's plan, carried out by the Son, impressed on our hearts by the Spirit, and witnessed by the angels. I love how he summarizes the whole thing. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Any other thoughts come up there on page 33 and some of those ideas? Wherever you see the title, Father or Son or Holy Spirit, you can replace it with the God. word God. Yeah. But no one word or name can describe the infinite and almighty God. Therefore, he is known by many names. What does name mean in the Bible? We've talked about this a lot. Name in the Bible means... Picture of character. Character. Name equals character. That's why I remember in the family when we when we went through Origins of Evil, Lucifer had one character. When his character changed, he became Satan. Satan. Right? Abraham, Abram, Paul, Saul. We talked Sar a lot about Sarai that. Sarai to Sarah. Yep. I do think though it's very important that when people pray though, they pray to the name uh, that they're praying to. So, dear Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Rather than being God, da -da 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 -da. you know, God is a very, very abstract thing. God can be anything. Mm -hmm. God could be the Mercedes Benz sitting out in the driveway. God could be Satan to somebody else. What is God? You know, to actually say the name, mm -hmm. you know, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus told us to pray in his name and, and it would be granted, you know. So, to back up and just use the word God, to me, sounds dry. So, how do you explain that concept to somebody who's not familiar with mm -hmm. the Bible or God in a way that doesn't make it sound like, well, simply to, that Jesus is a magic word? As long as you pray and you say Jesus, because that's the magic word. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you explain that idea to them that it doesn't make God sound like, well... Well, yeah, he didn't answer your prayers because well, you didn't say in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Well, go ahead. Well, to me, I feel that I, I see what you're saying, but the intent, mm. God knows our intent. God knows who we're praying to. He knows who we mean to pray to. So is that for our benefit? Because God's not confused. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, I get you. But it's also, you know, it's about whom you bow your knee to. You know, it's like, you know, let's say you go and you live your life six days of the week, way different than you do on the seventh that you go to church on. Whose knee, who do you bow down to? So tie that back to the idea about you know, using the right name when we pray, because we're, we're talking about, you know, God has many names. So you bring up that really good point of when you pray, it's important to kind of distinguish who you're praying to. And then how do we describe that to a person who's unchurched? 
you're not familiar with these ideas. I had a good friend of mine tell me once I was praying, and at the end I just said, uh, your name, amen. And my good friend of mine said, you need to say in Jesus' name, amen. And I said, why? And they said, because, well, if you don't, then who are you praying to? You could be praying to anybody. Yeah. And to your point, Lola, well, I know who I'm praying to. And God knows who you're praying and to. And God knows who I'm praying to. Right? So, so, so it's, it's an interesting thing to wrestle with, right? Because we have, these are some good concepts. And so the next thing I have to say is Isaiah 9, 6, the lesson points out, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called, so, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Let's keep going. Jesus. Yahweh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, Joshua, because actually Jesus is not in the Bible. That's a English translation, right? His name was Joshua. Yeah. Okay, so in Joshua's name, Amen. So if you if if like and so to go down that route to say we well, got to go in the right name, well then how far back do you go? Yeah. Do we have to go Yahweh. Right. Right. So. So to, to and, or you could read in the Old Testament where Jesus and where God, right, says him and next week we're gonna talk about how the God of the Old Testament is actually Jesus. That's a whole other can we're gonna open up next week. But in the Old Testament, there's a passage where God says, Don't call me Baal. Because I'm not like Baal, call me Isi. That's my name. I S I. I S I? I S I S Isi. Which means husband. Caretaker. So, Sarah, comment. So I see it as, you know, back at the beginning we talked about the idea that, you know, these things are all being used to describe a God that is everything. Right? Mm -hmm. And, like, our human brains cannot comprehend that, mm -hmm. right? Like, if you think about it, like, so when you connect with another person, right, like, a lot of times because you have things in common, right? Like, uh -huh. so that idea, like you're going through a terrible time in life, right? Mm -hmm. Like at that moment, you would maybe relate to the God that is wonderful, right? Because you need that, you know, you're going through a time where you just don't know how to manage, then you would need a counselor, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're going through something that's just above anything you've ever dealt with and you would need a mighty God. So like in those, like because he is everything, but like our brains can't comprehend that, then in those moments we could, like he's giving us the, the option to kind of pick out like a specific piece of him mm -hmm. that we need so we can better understand, better connect with who he is in that time, right? And a really mm -hmm. tumultuous, terrible time, right? We'd need a Prince of Peace, right? So like, He's all those things, but that's for our benefit to break it down until we could actually feel like it's a personal God instead of just, you know, something so big that we can't even, can't even comprehend or connect with it. Mm -hmm. I like that. There's different entities and we need them. We need a comfort. In Hosea 2, verse 16, this is one of those verses that refers to what I was talking about before. 
God says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master or my Baal. Right? So to your point, like, I think that's the distinction that God is making is the, the character aspect, the methods, the principles, the character aspect. Coco is making her rounds. One of these days, we're going to have to put on the Collective Journey Facebook page for our listeners what Coco looks like. Because they keep hearing reference to Coco, the chocolate-covered chihuahua. <laughs> you know? She's sweet as chocolate. She is. Uh, as we wrap up this lesson, there's one more thing I want to reach out and, and, and touch on. And let's, the bottom of page 33, there's three verses that kind of go boom, boom, boom. And then we'll kind of wrap things up. And... The lesson says, in the following text, we see the Son in his role as creator. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God, all things are made through him. That's a very common verse a lot of people understand. But verse 14, oh yes, now she's freaking terrorizing everybody. It's alright, embrace it, Mark. I am. Come here, girl. There you go. That's right. You got a squeezer. There you go. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. If you haven't been cuddled by a sweet chihuahua, mm -hmm. there you go, drink it. Now she's drinking someone's coffee. Let's see, it's all gone. It's a bit too big. Um, check out verse 14 here, bottom, bottom page 33. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember a year or so ago, we went through the book of John, the Gospel of John, pretty like de in detail. We identified that glory in the Greek means what evokes good opinion. That's what the meaning is there. So it's not glory like a king or an emperor or a pope or a, you know, whatever, a czar. What's meant there is the glory, what evokes good opinion of someone. And so if, if, if you're a person who evokes a good opinion... That's not what you look like on the outside. That's who you are on the inside that shines out. That's your character. If you have a good opinion of someone, it's because of the kind of person they are. So I think that's just a really important piece to kind of pull out of here. Any final thoughts before we end this lesson? What we've kind of covered so far. Sometimes I wonder if we make it too hard. Mm -hmm. Do we make a relationship with God too hard? Like with your friend who said, oh, you can't just end your prayer unless you say, in Jesus' name. That's making it hard. You know, I, I don't know, putting unnecessary stipulations and some, I just wonder, you know, when God originally created us, he didn't want a relationship that was hard. It would just be easy, loving, you know, friends. In the Gospels, Jesus is walking on water, and Peter says, I want to do that. And Jesus says, well, then come on. So Peter jumps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And then he gets like, ooh, kind of sketched out, loses faith. And as the story goes, he started sinking in the yeah, water. It makes it hard. And what did he pray? 
Help! Help me. And where was Jesus? Right there. Right? But he didn't say, help! In Jesus' name, amen. No, he said help. Help. There was God. Bam. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I just think it's really, it's a, it's just a really good, um, it just challenges all of our minds to wrestle with some of these, these bigger concepts of like, okay, so who is God? And that's, that's what we're addressing in these lessons. So, next week, we're actually going to pick up on page 34, right after Colossians 1. You can draw a line across there. That's part two. And, and spend some time studying the second part because it opens up the idea a lot. And I held this belief, too, for a long time that the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus in the New Testament. They're not the same people. And there's a lot of Christians who really struggle with that idea that God in the Old Testament is actually Father and Jesus showed up and he's not the same. But the lesson points out the idea in this first paragraph, there's biblical evidence that shows that Jesus is also the Lord God of the Old Testament as well as the Lord Jesus in the New. That's the preface for next week's, or actually not next week, the following. Next week we're at La Quinta for a corporate gathering. So let's spend some time really kind of internalizing this. And I think we're going to wrestle with some pretty good ideas here when we, when we come back in two weeks, so... That's where we're going to pick it up. And then we'll actually finish We'll finish the lesson at our next meeting. So let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. That you're not afraid of big ideas and wrestling with things. Um, thank you that you're the kind of God, man, as Sarah described it, you're, you're the God we need in that moment. Because, well, that's what we need in our own development, in our own growth. Sometimes you need, sometimes we need a God that, that is thundering and fire on Mount Sinai. That's what we need. And sometimes we need the God that is the still small voice, like Elijah in the cave. And sometimes we just need the friend and the brother to sit down around a fire and eat some fish, like Jesus revealed. And that just says so much about you. And... God, I just hope that that idea will, will really push back against some fear that we may hold when we think of you. We don't have to be afraid because you're, you're a kind of God that cares so much about us that you'll limit yourself and meet us exactly where we're at in our understanding and growth. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for your truth, for who you are, in your name. Amen. Amen.